The following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to season two. We've made it to a second season. Woohoo! Assuming people actually listen to the first one. Ah, uh, who cares? I care. Well, I mean, obviously we care. We in UK because we wouldn't yeah. be doing this otherwise. But I like to think other people listen to us. Uh, and to all those people who keep on listening to, um, our can't... ramblings. No, no. There's a specific film. Um, that imagine me and you. You weren't even involved with it. Oh, I think it was one of the first ones I did. It was pre me. And yet. It's got the most listens to than any of the podcasts we've done. And I really don't understand why. I've never seen a film, I've never listened to the podcast, so neither do I. You've never listened to my original podcast? No, I haven't. Again, Fuck you, buddy, I've, I've as told, a presenter. I've told you why. I didn't want to call, call my experience in any kind of way. Um, anyway, folks... Yeah. Welcome to season two of Sunday Afternoon Cinema. My Even name is not Sunday. His name is Chris Windsor. Yeah, I am. Uh, my name is Michael Arkin. So in season one, we did a film that I liked, then a film that from the Viewerskew universe, and then a film that Mike liked. Now we're going to follow the same basic format of I choose a film, Mike films, a, Mike chooses a film, back and forth. We're going to probably come up with something in a universe that we want to cover at some point. I know you want to cover at least one of the other Kevin Smith universes. I would love to cover the Back to the Future films because I think they're important. Yeah. I would really like to cover the Science of the Lamb trilogy. Well, because we actually, I think they're really good, but this is something we can discuss in the future. Yeah, we still also, we are still partway through covering the Tarantino verse as a, as a whole. And did we ever release the Logan episode? I'm not, we need to finish that. Because I know we ran, I know I ranted for an hour and a half and we barely even talked about the film. Yeah, we, I think we barely touched on the cast <laughs> in that episode. We, I'll, have to find, I'll have to try and I, find that recording. We, we, I, don't, I don't think we did release it. Um, we didn't, um, because I think we came to the conclusion that we didn't want to release it until we had the second part recorded. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure we'll need to scrap everything and start again. Yeah, because I don't remember what I said. No. We'll um, watch it. I'll tell you we'll, what. I'll buy it on DVD. You can come round. We'll get a pizza. You've we'll get, got we'll Cody. Get You've got Cody. We'll have a ruddy You've good laugh tonight. In. Yes. Yeah. I can rent it off Amazon. Legitimately. Yeah. So anyway, the first film is a film that I love and, you know, one that I felt was important and that I really wanted to watch is the film Shattered Glass, which Mike has never seen. So Shattered Glass is a film... Based on upon just a... before we continue, folks, um, I think both Chris and I think feel it's important when we're doing these podcasts to try and introduce each other to new experiences, new films that we may not have necessarily come across before. Sure. In most cases, Chris tends to kind of. Um, I show you good films. Hate my choices, um, such as Blaze and Savills, yep. which he still considers a pile of shit. Yep. Um, despite the fact that everyone else in the entire known universe thinks it's a work of comedy genius. I hated the Blues Brothers. The, again, another fine point. I hated 1943. 1942. 1942. There you go. That's how much I loved it. I can't um, remember the name. Obviously, I go for the more comedic bent. Chris tends to go for kind of the more good films. dramatic and yeah. 
Really? Um, it's not to say either of us are wrong in choosing. I mean, having shown you Spirited Away last year, I now want to show you more behind Miyazaki. Right. And I really want to show you your name. Right. We have to watch your name at some point. I've seen my name. I've got an identity card in my pocket. Derek already made this joke. Don't try and rip off Derek with your jokes. I don't know. And, and it's not in your pocket. Joke. It's around your neck. You can't even do your own jokes properly. You failed. Excuse me. Excuse me. I will have you know. There. I will have you know. I have an identity oh, card. Christ, you look like someone from... Yeah. So anyway... So anyway, Shattered Glass, as I was saying before you so rudely interrupted me, um, Shattered Glass is a film based on an article um, that appeared in Variety, sorry, Variety, Vanity Fair a few years ago, I can't exactly remember when, about a writer of the New Republic, Stephen Glass. It's based around the fact that over half of the articles that Stephen Glass um, produced are fabricated. This is all discovered because of a piece called Hack Heaven that Glass wrote and was picked on by Forbes, where the, where the editor in the Forbes places says, why didn't we get this in our tech portion of our magazine? Being looked into by, by Forbes, it's discovered that most, if not all, of the articles written is made up effectively. The piece is centred on a company called Jukes Micronics, who don't exist, and a gentleman named Ian Reskill, who, again, doesn't, doesn't exist. exist. And they never existed to begin with. I've gone back and actually read the article that um, Stephen Glass put together, and I've got to say, it's really compelling, and it's really entertaining. And you can see... As are most works of fiction. Indeed. And you can see why people would be, uh, would be, would be taken in by this. But what's even better is if you read this note that's actually... If you read the article, there's a bottom of it says, that basically says, look, it's bullshit, and we know it's bullshit. Um, okay, so before I go into why I chose this film to begin with... What's your first impression of the film? What did you when I told you? Okay, when I said to you, I want to review Shattered Glass. A, had you ever heard of it? No. Okay. I hadn't. When you read the brief synopsis, I'm assuming you did on IMDb. What did you think of it based on the synopsis? I or didn't read the synopsis at all. Um, I'm afraid to say. Basically, I when I go into a film, I don't want to colour my decision on it based on. No, that's fair. Anything else that's outside, so I will go and watch the film. And base my opinions off that rather than the kind of reading IMDb reviews, which then oh, obviously, back yeah, on, yeah, no, that, that's reasonable. Obviously, user, user reviews, which are generally terrible. Mm. Um, so I didn't know much about the film going to it. Only when I watched the film that I remembered, that I realised I remember this story. Really, because I knew nothing time. about this before I watched the film. I'm I'm a few years older than you now, obviously, and and. I'm nearly 39. Next month, in fact. So I remember this being kind of quite, well, I say big news. It was probably buried away on like page seven of the Daily Mirror. <laughs> but I remember reading about it and really being fascinated. Because obviously I read voraciously. And for me, journalistic integrity is up there you have to have integrity if you're going yes. to go into that field you have to you have to have integrity and for me this just tore away the fabric of everything a journalist was meant to be and mm -hmm. uh, it left me feeling well if i can't believe the guy who writes for the president of the united states 
Who can I believe? Yeah, I mean, they, they point out that it's it's the magazine that is on Air Force One. It's meant to be one of the most reputable magazines, as it were, that, that is out there. I mean, I, I, I never heard of the Republic. I don't know about you. It, it's an American publication, and you can get it on newsstands in this country. You have to really kind of hunt for it, yeah. I believe. Um, you will see it in WH Smith, I believe, stock it in No, I can believe that, that someone like WH Smith would stock it. But, yeah. um, but I don't think it's as widely read in this country as as it is in, in America, certainly. If anyone reads it, it's going to be the likes of politicians, statesmen, you know, from from most countries. Um, so it would be in stock purely for, for them. Um, from why but from what I understand, it's basically a much less comedic American pri- the new statesman. private eye or, yeah. or new statesman. Um, in that it's respected, it's to some degree it's feared, um, but it's not something that everyone. I think again to to go back to a phrase I used in the earlier podcast, I think only people with a triple digit IQ are going to really understand that most of what's in in this in this magazine. Um it's it's respected, feared and probably equally loathed um among among its peer circles. So for me it's it's like finding out you know, one of the top one of the top reporters in the country was really Grub Smith from FHM. <laughs> You know, just carrying out his... Now, hang on a second here. Before you besmirch the good name of, like, FHM or Zoo or Nuts or Maxim, All they loaded. had some really good articles and loaded. They had some amazing articles. They it did was have not some just about smut. Excuse me, did I say it was? No. No, I didn't. I said it was like finding out one of those journalists was really gross myth in the skies. There is a difference. It wasn't about smuts. <laughs> anyway, point being, it was a shock to me. I can um, imagine it probably wasn't for a lot of people. I mean, yeah. I mean, I was I was twenty years old and working full time, and you know, I still made time to to kind of read the news, catch up on the news, and this was a. I don't think it was a major story because over in this country, an American journalist fibbing a little bit in some of his magazine articles wouldn't really make front page headlines. But no. I do you remember the story being? I um, can imagine though that the you know that there's a very good line, and I'm I'm going to put the clip in later on, where one of the characters basically accuses one of the other characters of saying, you know, you're doing this because you want to be the big boss. You you, you don't like us particularly well. You know, you're doing this because you want to run the magazine in your own way. So do you not understand? There will be no magazine after this. We are fucked. When this breaks, we are everyone, done. Yeah, everyone that's magazine is going to come after us. Yeah, and, and they've got every right to. Yeah, everything that we've ever said before, anybody that we've ever besmirched, there will be... They would be rightly on our door saying, you know what, so you messed show. up. Yeah, yeah. yeah, effectively. And there will be that element of, you know, shit sticks. Once you learn that someone has lied to you, you've got every reason to believe, well, how everything much have they lied they to us said. before? Yeah, every, yeah, and then everything comes on the review. 
Yes. It's not just everything this guy has written, it's everything that guy's written, and that guy's written, and that girl, and that fellow over there. It's everything the magazine has ever stood for suddenly comes on your screen. The integrity goes up right under the bus. If it does, and you know, they have to do some major, major rewrites and yeah. major arse kissing after this. Now, I don't know about you, but watching this film, I didn't know quite how to treat the, the characters in it. Because at one point, it felt like they were kind of carrying out a character assassination almost of the, of the editor. Oh, of yes. Played by um, Peter Sarsgaard. It, it was almost painting him to be the bad guy. Very much so, yes. Because he was wanting to do his job, wanting to check the the background of the story. And even right up until the end, it kind of veered back towards it, painting like, in that light. It, it's, like the it's, manager, it's like the manager in work that you don't like because you think that your manager goes... goes um, I love my managers. Well, I do, personally. But it, it's like the people who don't like their manager because their manager is a bit too strict. But they, they don't see the fact... That their manager is getting on them just as much as they're getting on you. Yeah, it, he's paint the Peter Sarsgaard character. Um, um, uh, name whose name I can't remember. Um, is treated incredibly unfairly because Stephen is so good at manipulating the people around him. But the thing is, it again with, even with Stephen Glass, it it kind of veers between portraying them as. You know, either an outright liar or just just a guy who was undone by his own foibles. I see. We're going to go into this in a minute. It kind of him. I, I don't think. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, but what I'll do is I'll just say a little bit about why I chose this film. And then we can certainly go on to that, definitely. Um, I can't remember exactly how I came across this film, to be honest with you, because it, it's not made massive waves. No. To be fair, what was it released by New Line or Lionsgate? I think. Lionsgate, I can't yeah, remember. It may, may have been. I think I may have come across it originally as a related search, um, which would make sense, um, alongside Paris of Silicon Valley. Yeah, because it's it that sort of a film, and it was that kind of era where it was. It was that sort of time frame because I'm so I'm sure Paris of Silicon Valley was around the 2000 2001 mark, and this was 99. Um, uh, 2003 this was was it? Oh. it I know it's a lot more recent than you think it's, yeah I mean, maybe it just the look I mean, it, yeah it the way feels, it's filmed you'd think it was a 1990 film it feels like you? a 90s film I yeah. think possibly because it was set in the 90s maybe they've done that on purpose um, possibly yeah Um. so I loved it and I was hooked as soon as, as soon as I started watching it it's written by a guy named Billy Ray who initially I thought it was Billy Ray of Miley Ray Cyrus, but as it oh, turns out, it's, <laughs> as it turns out, it's completely a different person. He just happens to have a similar Did name. Did you hear any twinkling banjo music? Thankfully not. That, that's that's your first clue. It's not Billy Ray Cyrus. But yeah, it was written and directed by Billy Ray, along with a guy called Buzz Bissinger, who is the real name of someone who wrote the original um, Variety article, um, H. G. Bissinger, who used H. G. Bissinger as a for, as a um, pen name, pseudonym rather. Thank you. Under Forbes, sorry, not Variety, but honestly, if you'd been, if you told me, this had been written by Aaron Sorkin or by Ridley Scott, I would, I would have believed you. I wouldn't have because I know Aaron Sorkin's work. I um, just think that the way it was written and the way that people spoke, 
And indeed, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of sorkin ish. But when you say Ridley Scott, I think you well, mean possibly Tony Scott because it's more kind of, um, be more, more, more in the direction. Yeah, you know, in in the way it builds up characters and the way it builds up the, the place around you. I, I really think it's that good, and yet it got barely any recognition at the time. It barely won any reward, awards rather. And Benny Ingram's heard of it. I, I yeah, don't know anybody who remember knows though, who this is. This wasn't a big budget film. True. It wasn't released by one of the prestige studios at the time. Lionsgate must have been fairly new when this came out. I'm sure it was. New. I'm sure it was Lionsgate, but I could be wrong. Uh, whoever released it. Yeah. Wasn't released with a big name cast. There no. weren't any real marquee names in this. I mean, now you can look at it. You've got Peter Sarsgaard. Yeah. Me and you know him. We've seen him and stuff. To be fair, the only reason I know who Peter Sarsgaard is, anybody, this is because of another actress, but carry on. Um, Hayden Christensen is the only other really big name in it, and that's only because of his brief foray yeah, into, into the Star Wars universe, the Star Wars universe <laughs> which was uh, universally panned. Um, comment I made to you was I didn't realise Hayden Christensen could act before I saw this movie. That's quite true. I was actually quite impressed by his performance. Oh, because, he was wonderful in this. I mean, don't be wrong, he didn't have me rooting for him. But that, I but don't think that was the, the point. character believable. Yeah. Um, and even though I've seen the Star Wars films, it didn't colorize my opinion of either his performance or the character in the film. My own background, which came only when I was watching the movie, mm-hmm allowed for that to happen but even then I still allowed myself to watch the movie without really kind of prejudging the character or his motives to an extent I understand why he did what he did I think anyone can he he was a kid after some attention from teacher from yeah. mum and dad and that's that's why he made me oh definitely and I mean I, I've written something very similar to that I mean you know as, as well as the importance of the film, I think it's a genuinely good romp. The script is tight and to the point, and it never misses an opportunity to make you think about what is being said. The acting, whilst a little bit unrealistic at times, is very good. The whininess of Hayden bothered me, but then again, I think that was the point. I think he was glass, and that's what you got. I also felt that the way it was presented was very good in terms of technology. I absolutely yeah. loved seeing the old Yahoo homepage. Yeah, and seeing the music and text for Oh my god, it's so odd! Yeah, and it might be a little bit sad, but it made me smile. All we were missing, folks, was the sound of a dial modem. Yeah, but to be fair, they were working in a business, so they probably would have had decent. They wouldn't have had dial up modem back in yeah. the day, to be fair. And 2003, plus this is this is America where they've had cable since the year dot. Yeah, but it yeah, but it was based in nineteen ninety four, but they would have had RSDN lines in ninety four. Yeah, and they would they probably would have had um uh Ethernet as well, but they probably point. would have done by that point to be fair. Um, so let's go on to the cast um, for this. And to be honest with you, I don't think this is lacking for you know. I don't think this it's is not lacking, lacking for in quality. Cast, to be honest with you, you know, as we've already said, we've got Hayley Christensen who plays Glass to a T and is wonderful in this world. Glass is still alive, so and I had to look it up actually because I thought he committed suicide, but frankly he hasn't. No. So I don't want to say anything too inflammatory. But I really think that Hayden really brings across the nastiness and the deviousness of Glass to the point where you have to wonder, 
did Glass in the character think he was right? You know, Glass keeps on asking if there's something wrong or saying that he hasn't done anything wrong. These are the words of someone who is clearly uneasy in their own skin. And no, he wants some, he always wants someone at times to say, hang on, this is all a pile of shit. Yeah. Everything you've written ever has to be re-examined. Do, do you think he almost wants to be caught out in I a think way? He, I think he does, because he keeps highlighting. And he keeps saying, you know, I've contacted this guy hundreds of times. And then two seconds later, he'll say, well, I've spoken to him once or twice. Mm. Or I've got or, my notes back at the house. Yeah. Or I've spoken to his secretary a week ago last Tuesday. And he's constantly stuck, constantly changes his story. But he doesn't keep the threads going. And to be, to be, it's, it's an old saying, but to be a convincing lie, you have to keep track of your yes, lies. Yes, you have to keep track of your lies. Um, yeah. And he doesn't do that. And it is, Again, and he gets flustered he does, again, very again, easily it's that snowball effect of things building up and building up until eventually everything tumbles down you find out and it's, n- it's not just one lie that catches him out it's multiple lies yeah all stranding from this one central this this idea of this this tech company and he's been to this you know this convention with all these hackers um and that's the, it's the central lie that everything else spins out from, mm-hmm. and that's what brings them down. And that it's quite a compelling study of what makes a liar either successful or unsuccessful. In this case, I unsuccessful. Mean, I mean, I personally try not to lie mainly because I've got a terrible memory, so I can't I can't keep track of what I say. So there's no point in me lying because I cannot I cannot remember. So it's just like you know what. I just don't remember, so I'm sorry. I just find it easier not to lie. I'd rather not lie, um, because... Which it, is the way it should be, to be fair. Because, you know, it doesn't benefit anyone. The only person you're lying to at the end of it is really yourself. yourself. Yeah. Um, you're telling the lies for your benefit, nobody else's. Um, I mean, one thing I did read um, on IMDb, which was pointed out as a fault, apparently, and I'm putting fault in inverted commas there, because it's completely wrong, you know, it's saying that... When Stephen pitches his first stories, the fact that he said, I'll probably just kill it, and I'm not sure I'm going to finish it, are clues that he's fabricated his own story. Why would a journalist, why would a journalist would conduct all the research and interviews and not finish the writing the article? Really bad words from the person who wrote that. To say this is to entirely miss the point. You know, he's so fragile in his own state, that he craves the appreciation of others around him. By saying these exact words, he's giving the people the chance to, you know, pat him on the arm and say, oh, it's all right, Steve, Job it's well fine. done. It's Job well good. done. Yeah. You know, they, he wants the model, model calling of his, of his people, other people around him. I mean, this is, by this point in the, in the movie, I think, in, the, in his life, I think he's 24 years old. I think he was younger than that, you know. I think he was more like 21, 22. I th- no, I'm pretty sure I mentioned his age in the film that he yeah. was 24. He was at law school. Yeah, he was. St- well, he was. He was supposed to be studying law at night, it's but it's because his yeah. parents wanted him to. Uh, bear in mind, you're in you're in school in America till 18. You're in college till 21. You don't enrol in university 
which is which is where he studies law. Yeah, they they start considerably nicer than us, don't they? Yeah. So he, he twenty four would make sense in that context. I'm, True. I'm fairly sure it mentioned in the movie that he was twenty four. But he's still very much in that. He's sense immature. Of, he's very immature, and he's in that kind of uh, that child's mindset of, look, mommy, look what I. Or we'll hang it up on the refrigerator. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's his report. He wants the praise for his, his good report card or, you know, his good grades. He doesn't realise that this is now real life. And he doesn't, you know, he still wants the, the kind of, as you say, the pat on the back, the jolly well done that his parents always gave him growing up. And it's sad to say, folks, if you haven't realised this by now, this is real life. That kind of thing can't go on. Otherwise, you become a fantasist, bullshit artist. And also, you'll just be looked down upon by your peers. And exactly. Boss. People, people will you won't will be ultimately lose respect for you. And I mean, you know, not 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 to get too personal, and it will come out in the clips that we hear in a little bit. Was you know one of the things he says, as I said before, was I didn't do anything wrong, or have I done something wrong? Um, many years ago whenever my boss called me over to see me, my instant get reaction would be, well, I've done wrong. Yeah. And he, I think he did actually turn around to me one day and said, if you keep saying that, I am going to have to fire you. Because he was getting so sick of me saying that. And I, I, don't, I don't really know why. We never really discussed it. But I can see from, a, um, from, a, from an employer's point of view, it it's, probably gets very frustrating. Yeah. I mean, I had a similar thing when I started where we currently work, whereby every time a manager would come down and sit next to me, and I'd have a moment of panic, and I'd go, what have I done wrong? And I wouldn't say it to them, but I'd always think it internally, and then it'd just be a case of, just checking you're all right, everything's okay. And I'd actually turn around to one of my managers one day and said, you've just... Terrified the life out of me, and she said, "Why?" It's like every time you sit down, every time a manager sits down next to me, I because of the environments I've worked in in the past, I always assume I'm in trouble for some reason. I'm not used to managers coming over and just saying, "Are you okay? Is everything okay?" So for me, it's the first time I've done something wrong. I, I thought it's nothing, not because you're scary, because you're not. You know, you're lovely. It's the fact that I'm not used to that environment where managers will just come over and say, are you okay? Yeah. You know, do you need anything? Would you like a cup of coffee? Biscuit. Um, so for me, it was quite an alien concept that managers should actually care and want to know how your day's going. Because the offices I've worked in previously and the environment I've worked in, you only had a manager come over when you were absolutely deep, deep in the brown stuff. <laughs> um, so, I forgot what the original point was. But what the, the point is... Oh, it's, it's, the, it's the jolly well done aspect. Yeah, of, and he, he's... I mean, and it will come across more in the clips later on. I'm not going to play them now. Um, because I don't think we really need to. I think you and I know well enough about him. But I just think it's interesting to hear from him. But yeah, I think that's very much a Stephen Glass character overall. Um, okay, so the next character we really got to say, as we already spoken about, um, is Peter Sarsgaard, who plays Chuck. 
and he becomes the lead um, editor after he takes over from Hank Azaria, who's named Michael, I think it was. Um, and he brings so much drama to the role. He's he's. I mean, I, I don't know him. I've got to be it's honest. It's hard to tell whether he's the protagonist or the antagonist in this because he kind of says both roles as the Stephen Glass. For me, he's the he's put into a very unfortunate position. Yeah, and in a very uncomfortable position. I mean, he's because it's not his fault. Let's be he's honest. He's painted as a bad guy throughout by by pretty but much every only character. because of Stephen Glass, but only because of Stephen himself. Only because of Stephen himself. But because as well of I mean, it, the previous when, editor... You know, and it, it's when Stephen turns around to his colleagues and says, um, you know, oh, I'm sorry, I want to defend you, Stephen, but I've got to think about the magazine. He never said that. He even said to the other editor, look, I don't even care about the magazine. You know, that to me is not important. But you're going to ruin the career of this kid. Yeah, if you, you, know, if you follow up this... He clearly cares about Stephen's career, but Stephen is feeding these lies to other people because he's a little shit. He's he's a he comes across as an egotist without much ego, if that makes sense. Yeah, he does. Yeah, um, and he's obviously don't get me wrong. He's a very as a person. I think he's a very flawed character. I think he's probably going to have. A couple of million dollars worth of psychoanalyst bills to pay at some <laughs> point, um, and he is very much a product of, if you will, middle class America, um, in that he's never he's never been faulted, he's never had to stand on his own two feet. He's always had mummy and daddy there backing him up, telling him how well he's done. Yeah, and he just needs that kind of that push along. That's it, from someone an authority figure to say, "Oh, you're doing so well." Which well, most of us yeah. grow by the time we're nine or ten years old. But going back to the Chuck character, what did you think of Chuck overall? Chuck, I thought was was a great. I mean, the actor himself perfectly cast Peter Sarsgaard in any role, pretty much. Yeah, was it. Um. I felt sorry for him because I did because he was in a very uncomfortable situation. At the at the same time as he could as he could do no right, he had people blaming him for a lot of things that were not even perceived at times. Um, you know he he was being he was blamed for for getting rid of Stephen before the thought even entered his mind. And even he was blamed for Michael leaving. Yeah. Uh, he's playing for Michael losing his job, which was completely untrue. Yeah, I mean we can tra- we can trace every fault in this movie back to Stephen mm. ultimately, um, and his I'd say betrayal of trust. Yeah, because he is put in a position of trust, and we do trust journalists to tell us the truth when we we turn on the news or we open a newspaper or a magazine. We expect that you know they may take some editorial content and they may spin it in a certain way but we understand it's a tacit belief that at least the most of that article is going to be genuine yeah. and it's not going to be artistic folly because way. that is what a paper should be ultimately that is what a paper should be it's a, it's a source of news not a source of opinion yeah. or fiction which Stephen Glass 
ultimately. Although I have to say, I've, I've started noticing in a lot of papers that simply isn't the case anymore, sadly. Of course it's not, because we're living in the, in the Donald Trump era now, mm. where, where fake news dominates, and what is real news anymore? Yeah. Um, we, can't, we can't escape that. Um, and Donald Trump credits himself with inventing the phrase fake news. He quite frankly didn't. <laughs> and the guy's a fucking fantasist. But I digress. We, we live in yeah. here now. We live in a world of spin. We no longer take for granted the fact that everything we're going to read is 100% nailed on truth. Yep. Because it is, it's almost impossible to write anything without including a bit of opinion. It's yep. all, we can't even do this podcast without including our opinion on it, which is why we do, we do it. Mm-hmm. You're always going to colour it one way or the other. Yeah. You can, for instance, you can write, you can have two people. Let's say we have two journalists who both went to the same same schools, the same colleges in Ireland. Difference between these journalists. Right. Set this in the eighties, nineties. Difference between these two journalists. One works for a paper in the south of Ireland. One works for a paper in the north. The one that works in the north is going to colorize his view towards the British. Can't escape it. That's who he works for. The writer in the south is going to colorize his views towards the Republic of Ireland. Can't escape it. That's where he works. That's a basic point of fact. You expect that, but what you don't expect is for the for the for the writer in the north. To make up a roadside bomb, yeah, that didn't exist, or a paramilitary shooting, or an assassination, or X, Y, and Z, you don't expect that because you expect a fair amount of truth from journalists. Maybe a little bit of editorial content where somebody will add a few things in after the fact, but ninety-nine percent of it you expect to be always true. Stephen Glass, you got what maybe fifty percent. Yeah. Of, of his entire article base, not just the, the stories. Fifty percent of his stories were completely fabricated and made from the ground up. He just sat at home and thought, "This'll make a good story." Mm. That's not. That's not that's, how it works. That's that's what that's creative writing, folks. <laughs> that's not journalism. No. I mean, Stephen King sits at home and thinks, "Well, this'll make a good story." Guess what? He's a writer. He creates things for a living. He is not a fucking journalist. He doesn't sit there telling you what's what. He, he, people know it's a fiction. Unless, of course, he writes non-fiction, which he's only done so far twice, I believe. So, the next character that we see, uh, we see the reunion of Jenny, um, played by Chloe Savini, and Ruby, playing, uh, played by Rosario Dawson, um, otherwise known as playing in this film, Caitlin and Andy, respectively, uh, again, who don't share any scenes in the films as such. But do you recognise the characters I'm on about and when they've shared screenplay before? I do. Um, Rosario Dawson, obviously, we we know we've just been talking about her. She's blinking your missy. But do you know the really. connection between the two and where we've seen them before? It was, no. 
uh, they were two best friends in the film Kids from many, many years ago. That would be why I didn't know it because I've never seen it. Oh, you've never seen Kids? I've never seen Kids. Oh my God, we have to watch it. I mean, it's harrowing. But that's why I've never seen it. At the same time. Um, You know, they they do have decent roles in this and they're cast particularly well, especially um, Chloe Savini um, playing Caitlin. And the, but at the same time, Caitlin has an awful lot to say. To be fair, but they're not massive. You know what I mean? Yeah, she's she's quite brash. Is she meant to be Stephen's girlfriend? I don't think she's, I couldn't I think tell. I think it's kind of hinted to all, or she maybe has a thing for him. Yeah, because it certainly she's a lot more biased. She's very protective. She is. I think maybe a bit of a mutual crush, but I don't think mm. they are actually an item. And you can't see that, folks, but I've just done the echo round the way it's an item. Um, and she gets some She gets some very good lines in this, especially her comes with Plot and Chuck. She gets some excellent lines. And Chloe Savini, um, great actress. She's been on my radar for years. Um, although she never really got the big roles, I, I think she's very low key. Yeah, and I mean it worked for her. And if you know if if you're doing what you what you enjoy, without having to kind of sacrifice anything or you know give up any any dignity or or integrity, go for it. Mm. What what works for her is working incredibly well. Yeah. I mean she's <coughs> recently kind of branched out into things like American Horror Story oh really yeah um, but it, it's in, weird how this it, it's weird how it works with certain actresses or indeed actors or I don't know what the appropriate pronunciation is anymore I believe, this, it, believe it's actors all round but I, think I it still is prefer well yeah because to me it's a, it, but anyway um, the actress or actor who has really blown me out of the water this year is um <laughs> Oh no her name is gonna out of my head Name um, she's been in Michelle Rodriguez oh, no. She was in the greatest show in recently she was in Dawson's Creek she was in Manchester oh, by the Sea. Oh, uh, Michelle. Um, Michelle Williams. Williams. Yeah, she has done so much in the past twelve months that when when me and Derek have been reviewing new films, like, oh, Michelle Williams is this and again? Is there a film that Michelle Williams hasn't been in this year? It's amazing she'll, how she suddenly she'll pop she's up come up, out of nowhere. She'll pop up, seemingly. Pop up in a Fast and Furious franchise. She probably. I, I really hope will. not. I can see Katie Holmes doing that because that's basically Katie Holmes has got nothing else going on. But Michelle Williams has she's really got that divorce money from Tom Cruise. She doesn't need to work. Oh, she probably should go out with Jamie Foxx. Yeah, apparently that's been going on for quite a while. Oh, good for her. Um, but yeah, Michelle Williams really has come out of the woodwork. And I Tom, can see the same thing for Chloe Savini. Tom Cruise, by the way, still to remarry, hasn't come out of the closet, never mind the woodwork. <laughs> that's terrible. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, so the final character that I really want to focus on was a character who I've never heard, who I've never seen anything else, and yet I get the feeling I've seen him in other things. Is a guy called Steve Zane, um, who plays Steve Zahn. Zahn, rather. He's been been in quite a lot. But I don't recognise anything he's been in he's before. Mostly though. a comedic actor. Right. I think that's I think that's the difference. 
He's he was in Sahara with Matthew McConaughey, which was fairly yeah, yeah. for both of them. He's been quite, but mostly as I say, he's comedic. But so I he's think not, he's he's not quite known for being quite uh, not in the Jim Jim Carrey kind of way, just mm. in a you know kind of oh it's that guy. It's I think the funny. fact that I think I've seen him in more than I have though says quite a lot about him. He's he's quite a low key actor. He's yeah. like um, Alan Tudyk. Um, Crashing up to some of points. Yeah. If you've seen, he was in what was the TV series by um, Josh Wedden. Josh Wedden. Firefly. Oh yes. He was in Firefly as okay. well as the movie. The guy with the ginger hair. I've never seen Firefly. Just for the record. Right. Have you seen Tucker and Dale versus Evil? No. No. Of course you haven't. Um, How much good films? Tucker and Dale vs. Evil is a fucking magnificent <laughs> film. I'll have you know. No, but he seems to be another one. It's like if you watch um, if you watch any of the states, all the tech guys that you see in any of the states. Alan Tudyk. I think. Oh, he, I think he might. They're be. all they're all actors that you recognise, but not massive. But they're not so. massive names. Or Jamie Kennedy. Jamie Kennedy. Um, the other the guy who's um Buffy. Uh, Ginger Fella, um, what was his name? You know, he played he played um, the werewolf in Buffy. Oh, Seth Green. Seth Green. Yeah, there there seems to be this specific group of maybe actors. That, maybe that's who I'm mistaken for. I think it is. Yeah. Um, there seems to be this core of actors who we need someone who's a little bit nerdy, but looks like they could be in the army as well. Are they available? They seem Seth to be that sort of three feet tall. Though. Yeah, but he's always in. I mean, for me, he's one of the best things about Enemy of the States. I, mean, I love him. Great in, I love speech. Jamie Kennedy in Enemy of the States. Um, we should watch that again. We haven't. We haven't watched that together. We, we haven't. Should. We should watch it. Cause it's a brilliant film. And now here are some clips because that's what we do these days. I uh, hope you enjoy them. Clips. Yay. All I know is I was here. The conference was right here. <laughs> That's why the wrestles only stayed a few minutes, okay? Because it was such a, a dumb place to squeeze into. So they, they went to a restaurant for dinner with some of Ian's hacker friends. How many? Huh? People at the dinner, how many? Um, about 10, I think, including me. You didn't even put on a jacket. Hyatt was there, too? Yeah. Is it near here? Yeah, it's across the street. Good, let's cross the street. You know, I, I really don't like the way you're treating me, Chuck. It's like you won't even talk to me. This is the place. Yes. I didn't do anything wrong, okay? I, I didn't do anything wrong. You saw my notes. Everything was in there. I got tricked. I got fooled. I'm sorry. What are you being so mad for? It was 10 people. Yes. For dinner. Yes. They're closed at three on Sundays. Yeah, I, I know. I, I know, they almost didn't let us in. Okay, but it, it was a couple of minutes before three, and Ian looked like he was about ready to cry, and so they said okay. But for dinner? You go in and ask him yourself, Chuck. Okay, go, go in and see if they would serve a party that came in at 2.58, and the answer would be yes, you because know, that's when we got here. The Forbes guys are gonna have all this too, yeah, and they're gonna I dig through the, the records wrong, at Chuck. that office building. 
Okay, I'm sure they have surveillance cameras, and they're going to check them. I didn't do anything wrong, Chuck. I really wish you'd stop saying that. Steve, come on, anyone can make a mistake. You know, this is not right, Chuck. Okay, uh, I feel really attacked. And you're my editor. You're supposed to support me, and you're taking their word against mine? You're supposed to support me. What the hell did you do to Steve? He just called me from his car, hysterical, and I asked him what was wrong. He said, ask Chuck. He I fired him, okay? Not suspended, fired. So this wasn't an isolated incident, Caitlin. He cooked a dozen of them, maybe more. And we're going to have to go through them. You and I, we're going to have to go through all of them now. No, the only one was Hack Heaven. He told me that himself. If he were a stranger to you, if he was a guy you were doing a piece about, pretend that guy told you he'd only done it once. Would you take his word for it? Of course not. You'd dig and you'd bury him. And you'd be offended if anybody told you not to. Every one of those pieces was fact-checked. They were all... So is Hack Heaven! You're a good reporter. You've always been such a smart, thorough reporter. Why can't you be one now? Because what you're telling me is impossible, Chuck. Go upstairs. Read them again. This is bullshit! Make sure you go all the way back, because half of them ran when Mike was still here. That's what this is. Of course. And what are you going to do, Chuck? Pick us off, one by one, everybody that was loyal to Mike? Do you have a staff that belongs to you? Is that the kind of magazine you want to run? Caitlin, when this thing blows, there isn't going to be a magazine anymore. Now, if you want to make this about Mike, make it about Mike. I don't give a shit. You can resent me, you can hate me, but come Monday morning, we're all going to have to answer for what we let happen here. We're all going to have an apology to make. Jesus Christ, don't you have any idea how much shit we're about to eat? Every competitor we ever took a shot at, they're going to pounce, and they should, because we blew it. Caitlin, he handed us fiction after fiction, and we printed them all as fact, just because we found him entertaining. It's indefensible. Don't you know that? So, do we have anything more to say? Did you enjoy it overall? I did enjoy it. And, um, folks, if, if, like me, you've never seen it, again, I would highly recommend it. Um, if you want to do a bit of reading about it, there are plen there's plenty of information out there. I personally waited until after I'd seen the movie, and if by this point you haven't seen the movie, it's probably a bit too late because we've given shitloads away. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, I'll put one up before. I'll, I'll, I'll put it in post. But definitely a movie worth watching. If you don't know about the story, if you know a little bit about it, if you know quite a lot about it, this fills in a lot of the information you might not necessarily have known going into it. Um, if you're a fan of biopics or even historical dramas, a fan of Aaron Sorkin... I mean, I think that's the interesting thing, and I said this to you when you started watching it, I said, bear in mind that what you're watching happened. Now, yeah. I mean, to be fair, there probably are things that were put in for dramatic license. There always are. Yeah, because, like I mean, let's say, unless you're actually filming... Without people's knowledge, as an actual fly on the wall, yeah. you're never going to get. Because there's there's always you. there's always points that you could clearly not know about, obviously. Um, um, and there are there are conversations that only two people would have been privy to, and so we're either taking one person's version of it or the other person's. Yeah. And there is a true and simple fact that I learned a long time ago: when you listen to two people's versions, usually the truth. Is somewhere in between. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I think that's a very good place to finish on. I've got to say, we got more at Shattered Last than I thought we would. As much as I enjoyed I it, did. I just didn't think we'd have that much to say. Well, yeah. occasionally we surprise even each other. Yes, we do. So, thank you very much for joining me once again. I think it's been a good start to the season. Have you started thinking about what film you want to bring to the table? Yes, I have. What's it going to be? I don't know. Oh, okay then. Well, I think that's a good place to end. So, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Thank you very much, Mike. And we'll see you all in two weeks' time. Bon voyage. Goodbye. You have been listening to Sunday Afternoon Cinema, which is a recorded podcast. The podcast was hosted by myself and Mike Larkin. The podcast was recorded, produced and edited by myself, Christopher Windsor. If you've liked what you've heard, please consider subscribing on iTunes or following on SoundCloud. Thank you for listening.